Welcome, Boomexers. Let's throw out the old playbook. It's time to tear down the traditional way of looking at your life and money and leverage the laws of money to our advantage. That's right. There are laws of money, and those who learn and leverage the laws of money win, and sometimes win big. Stay tuned as asset protection attorney Daryl Tuttle, educator and leader of the BoomX Nation, shows us how. Beginners, investors, entrepreneurs, fellow attorneys, are you ready? Are you ready? Let's arm this ball. Now, here's the BoomX Show. The Laws of Money. Welcome to episode number eight of the Laws of Money podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Tuttle. This episode will be short, I hope. It attempts to answer this question. How an entrepreneur can attract clients, convert them to yes, onboard them as a new client, have them pay you money, and do so ethically and lawfully, and also build a loyal fan base in the process. To answer that question, let's start with what the law says. The law has an opinion about everything, and and (laughs) so the body of law that we should address first is called contract. When you decide to go to law school, every law school in the country has the same exact curriculum the first year. Law school is a three-year program. The first year, the students who are in that first year are called 1L. So 1L, 2L, 3L. That's how creative the, the law, legal services industry is. And so one of the courses, a year long, is contracts. Another is property, torts. A tort I got to look up the origins of that word, but it means um, tort law is all of those loss. When you think like lawsuit, probably you're thinking of a tort. Personal injury claims, negligence based on negligence, that's a tort. And it means a a civil wrongdoing. If the wrongdoing is so great and so harmful with malice intent, it's criminal law. But if you do not, rise to a mens rea, that's a legal term from Latin, meaning uh, a culpable mind, then it's civil law. O.J. Simpson case is an example. He was uh, charged criminally with murder, and he was found not guilty. However, later, he was determined to be the actor that caused the wrongful death of the victim. Now, think about that. I mean, One court in one body of law said that he did not commit the murder. Another body of law, torts, and a different court found that he did and was liable for damages to the family. It's very interesting. But contract law is the body of law that we are referring to. There are elements that must be met in order for there to be a contract. In American jurisprudence, You must understand these elements if you desire to be a business person in the modern world, in America. 
There are some cultures in which the rules are different. I understand there's a prominent um, culture, country, nation in a, in, on the planet today that has different rules. Um, about one-fourth of the pop- world's population happens to exist in this country. And anecdotally, I have, no, I'm, I have never studied Chinese law, but I've heard from um, business persons that the culture there is once the contract is signed, that is viewed as the beginning of the negotiations. Whereas in American law, the contract is the contract that is the end of the sales process. I have had um, about six engagements with entrepreneurs as a prospective buyer of their services. Each one, uh, in, in different ways, misunderstood and violated the laws of contracts. And, you know, we, we encounter violations of the laws of contracts often, um, however, in a brick-and-mortar business, it's far less likely than in a e- e-com, like startup, especially when it relates to like business coaching or consulting or something like that. Um, that's just my observation. And so I thought I would take some of these experiences that I myself have had as case studies to exemplify like what not to do, what the law requires, and try to convince young entrepreneurs that there really is a good reason to insist upon as your own business practice to follow the law because if you do so, your business practices will also be ethical and you will develop integrity and respect in the industry and your fan base and, and, and will, will, will grow. You will have a reputation as a person of integrity. Now, the, the rules, the, the laws of contract require, first of all, a meeting of the minds. Now, <clears throat> meeting of the minds, I mean, like, do, does the buyer and the seller both have the same facts? Do they both understand the facts as to the terms of the contract? I mean, do, do both parties know what is being offered, what is being um, sold, and what the price is. Because if you do not have that element, you do not pass code, you do not have a lawful contract, there is no agreement. And, you know, and the thing is, it just seems so obvious, but I realized as I've encountered these young entrepreneurs that, well, they haven't, they, they didn't go to law school. And some of the, I mean, we wouldn't teach contracts for an entire year in law school if it was obvious and the issue is, at what point have you gone to offer an acceptance, which is the other, an, another requirement of a lawful contract? Because there's banter back and forth. I mean, I am going to sell to you um, an hour of my time as an attorney. Well, there's different ways to approach that. Like, people can call me and say, Daryl, um, I am on your bike racing team, and you're a buddy of mine, and I am uh, calling you now not to talk about bike racing. I'm calling you because I have a legal question. Now, we've just, I, I, you know, over time I've developed, I've learned, I mean, you know, I've realized that when people know that you are an attorney, 
you are a lightning rod for conversations about, um, you know, their situation and how does that apply to the law. And as you age, you try to forget everything that you learned about the law outside and other than what you practice on a daily basis. And so most of the time I can say, look, I'm your bike racing buddy, and I don't know the first thing about intellectual property. I don't know if your new invention, the widget, can get a, um, a patent, <laughs> you know. But it's, it is instructive of what is the difference between negotiating and discussing a deal and the actual deal. Uh, recently, I, uh, you know, I am transitioning from a very organized, rule-compliant, archaic industry to a new one. And the entrepreneurial world is 100% internet-based and communicates through social media digit digitally, whereas the legal industry is paper, brick and mortar, super high overhead. Um, I mean, like legal services are so expensive because the legal industry is fixated on offices and paralegals and all of that costs money and that just drives the price up to the point of it being uh, out of reach for a lot of people. Uh, one of the purposes of this podcast is to try to offer a different way of helping people. Now, I have found myself, um, you know, like overwhelmed by the two worlds in which I have a foot. Like at, recently, I, I um, approached somebody in one of the Facebook groups I'm in who is super, appears to be super, super organized and very good at being responsive on Facebook and Instagram and all of these things and is publishing every day. And so I, I'm having a problem. I'm struggling with like how to manage a full-time legal career, and also like how do you, how do you, how are you on top of things when it comes to the modern means of communication? Was my question. Now I acknowledge that I am now like my bike racing buddies. This guy can do something. He can post regularly, and I'm having a hard time. How do you stay organized? Now. Uh, you know, so as I approached this person, you know, I thought to myself, I don't want to be disrespectful. I mean, like the guy has something to say that's useful as to organizing yourself in the social media context. That's that. I mean, like that. That's worth it. Now, myself personally, my, my ethics and morality is like a friend is a friend. Like if you know somebody, um, only if there's a true value proposition that requires like a legal competence. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of education, hundreds of thousands of dollars I have invested into being, being a lawyer. And, you know, at some point, the, the question demands compensation because of the value proposition to the, to the prospective client, but also just the effort and technical proficiency it takes to answer the question. But... I've always taken the pot. Like, if you want to ask me about how the law works, I'm not going to charge you for that. You're my friend, a person I know, an acquaintance. I just, to me, it's what the business world calls a lost leader. What it, to me, it's like being a good person. <laughs> That's just 
the way I look at it. It has served me very well because people, I hope, um, appreciate that I, that one of my goals is just to help people. Um, now, in this particular case, um, I made the mistake of asking for time on a topic related to organizing yourself in the, the modern world. And didn't, did, but wanted to be respectful of time. Now, the, the answer that I got back was, um, yeah, let's schedule a time and here's my um, calendar and here you go. Now, the question is, the law requires meeting of the mind. Was, was it clear to both the buyer and the seller that there would be a meeting for one hour for a set price to answer a set qu a, a specific question. In the absence of an agreement as to price before the service is offered and a meeting of the minds as to the purpose of the meeting, the answer is that is not repeat N-O-T, capital N-O-T, not a lawful contract. There, there is no legal requirement for compensation to be paid to anybody for a widget, a car, a house, an hour of an attorney's time, unless that is determined ahead of time. Now, here, here, here's like a, the ethical part of it. In um, the law, there are very few industries in which, in order to become a member of that profession, massive amounts of education are required. Um, I think about financial advisors, and some of them are great, but that that you know financial advisor world, um, it's kind of like the Wild West. The Investment Advisors Act was created just because people were charging money for financial advice. And so much fraud was going on that Congress said, like, look, we got to. And so Congress, minimal um, reporting requirements and compliance requirements to try to cut that down. But, but law school is, you know, like three years of law school plus a bar exam plus ongoing um, commitment and an oath to the rules of professional conduct. And you can say what you want to about attorneys, but that is just because you were in a lawsuit and lost and now you're mad or um, – heard about this, that, or the other thing, the, the legal services industry is flawed in the sense that it is an advocacy-based program, and that means there's going to be a loser, <laughs> and the loser's not going to like the lawyer for the other side very much, and so that's the origin of lawyer jokes, I think. But our profession should be a model for entrepreneurs, I believe. There is a strict code of uh, conduct and ethics that we raise our right hand and we swear uh, that we will follow to the best of our ability. And there's an entire big long section on fees. And, and that ethical oath that we swear is that we will as attorneys charge a reasonable fee. Now I just earlier said that fees are bloated because lawyers are very glued to high overhead model of business. I said that. And that is true. Um, however, um, and I, have, I have now come to realize that attorneys 
probably, I, I mean, relative to what I'm seeing in the Wild West of the entrepreneurial world, we charge very little. I've been a lawyer for uh, 24 years, and, you know, I've chosen to keep my overheads. I've always been a sole practitioner and am not into big overhead. Um, big law firm type attorneys are, are offering the same services and advice, and they're billing maybe like 750 bucks per hour. I've chosen to keep my overhead low, and so 350 I could charge 750 if I wanted to, but 350 because the rules of professional conduct require me to also think about like the value to the client, the complexity of the subject matter is a variable in determining fees, as is price among my peers. That is a reasonable, uh, like there's actually a formula. Like you can't just make a number up. It has to be based on something. Now, in this particular case, um, one of the case study, one of the real life examples I've encountered in which I paid somebody for an hour of their time is a woman who is the CEO of a, a crazy successful um, company. And she is a pioneer in the world of entrepreneurship as defined <clears throat> social media, modern, I mean like, and she did it exactly correctly. She had a, an offer, I accepted it an hour of time. It was very clearly set what would happen what the time limits were, what the value proposition was, and I had to pay the set price before I could even schedule the time with this amazingly successful person. And she delivered exactly, in a very disciplined way, what I, what I bargained for. Contrast that to the most recent example in which um, I thought I was having a conversation. It was not clear to me whether or not it was about... Um, podcasting or video tube or writing books or all of the different topics or, or even rumor mongering as in, you know, the Facebook group that we're in, I thought we were discussing my pain. Like I came to that person with a problem and the problem is how do you stay organized? Now the rules of professional conduct for an attorney, attorney would say, okay, so that is, you can charge money for that. However, probably not very much. I mean, the value proposition is give the guy some advice about being organized. That's different than give the guy advice about how to protect assets when his wife has had a stroke and they're paying $30,000 a month in medical bills. I mean, put it this way. I know heart surgeons that don't charge $1,000 an hour. And the value proposition for a heart surgeon who saves your life, that's a high value proposition. Staying organized is a low value proposition. It, it, it's, there is value, but not great value. Now, the successful entrepreneur, the CEO of this great company, defined what she was offering at the set price and did exactly what she promised. In the other example, um, there was no set price, and what I was asking for was not what was discussed and delivered during the meeting. What the meeting turned into was talking about, like, 
chat, chit chat, back and forth about things that we have in common and um, general observations about what about this. And then it, it evolved into what I would characterize as a sales pitch as to one of this person's services that was completely unrelated to the original request. Now, in the law, that would, would be negotiation. Like, that is the sales process. We haven't reached the contract yet. I'm telling this story as a case study to illustrate the difference, to help you, if you are an entrepreneur, clearly you're going to get yourself into trouble if you don't do it correctly. Uh, it may not be a lawsuit that is headed your way because it's not worth suing somebody over an hour of time, but you will get the reputation of just not understanding the law and not, or worse, just being unethical. Um, so let's break that down. When we talk back and forth like, hey, um, so-and-so, what do you think about helping me post on social media consistently? Now, at that point, that is post-contract. I asked for that, and let's say we had a set agreement as to price. When the conversation is tangential, you are out of the contract. You are now trying to negotiate a new deal. You are saying, I don't know anything about social media, which is what you asked me to opine about. But did you know that I have this other enterprise in which I help people publish books? That's, that is a sales pitch to a person. You don't get to charge for that. When the person says, I have all the information I need about your proposal, and I know the price, I know what you're offering, I agree, that is meeting of the minds. Now you have a contract, not before. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny because uh, this, I guess I am upset about it because, you know, the conversation got out of hand. It was just a rambling mess of a conversation about topics that I'm interested in. And so I can be chatty. I want to know about how to publish books. It's not, not well, I'm not going to pay money for that, but... If you want to discuss it, okay, I'm interested. I've been writing a book for 24 years. It's on my bucket list. I'm on chapter two, <laughs> you know. And so the interesting thing was, it was like, okay, well, you know, let's have another meeting next week so you can tell me whether or not you're going to hire me. Well, I'm like, okay. I'm pretty sure the answer is no, but if you want to touch base next week, well, of course, you know, to me, the law would say that is all negotiation as to a collateral issue. And there's no meeting of the minds, not a lawful contract. You can't charge for it. What was disappointing was um, uh, during the second meeting, that turned into an hour conversation that was rambling and unorganized. And then at the end, an invoice for a total of $2,000 because there were two meetings at an hour. Now, that, 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 okay, so hit, let's hit the brakes there. <clears throat> um, entrepreneurs, listen, it is not a lawful contract unless the buyer has agreed on price. It is not a lawful contract if it's a sales pitch about something else. Contract, meeting of the minds, and negotiation are two different things. A and so when you have this invoice, 
for 2000 bucks, you have to say, okay, there is no contract, there is no legal obligation to pay one cent under the eyes of the law. However, do I want to cause a conflict with this person who doesn't understand that? And it puts the buyer, in this case me, in a difficult position. As I'm podcasting this, I don't really care, care about, actually, no, no, that's not true. The result of um, that conversation was for me to point out, look, stop, I'm not paying $2,000. <laughs> You're out of your stinking mind if you think I am. Um, so let's talk about reasonableness of fees. Um, a CEO from a very successful company who is actually, like if I said, her, said this person's name, everyone would know who she was, charged $500 for one hour, and she is in the stratosphere as to success. This person who's untested wants to charge $1,000 an hour. Now, I, like that's the high, high, high end of, of what attorneys with 30 years of experience would charge. But we are bound by rules of ethics. Entrepreneurs are not. It's unregulated. That does not mean you can create a policy that you publicly post that makes the same pledge. Reasonableness. I am committed as a business coach as to charging a reasonable fee based upon the complexity of the topic, the value proposition to you, my future client, and fair market value. Now, the truth is, you know, that, that might mean, like, I would price, for what I received from these, these rambling conversations as compared to what I asked for, the monetary value is zero. Like, I, that's not what I was asking you about. Um, the confusion of the conversation led to me kind of asking more about your business proposal. But uh, as to this case study, there's no value. Ethically and morally, there should not be a fee at all because you didn't deliver anything that was asked as, you know, meeting of the minds. Um, but let's just suppose that on an hourly basis, you want to coach and consult about publishing a book. There are some moving parts there. It is definitely something that's based upon experience. Everybody on the planet believes that what they do has value. It is hard and difficult and even weird to place like a monetary value to what you love. I, you know, if you think about money, the name of this podcast is The Laws of Money. Well, like, what is money? There is the fourth episode. I, I interview a 1% attorney, and the question is, what is money? And we go back and forth, like, what exactly is it? It is weird to me that at the end of the month, um, most workers in America, people are paid every two weeks, some every 30 days. And for 30 days, you toil. You might be a plumber. You might be a dentist, a lawyer, whatever. And at the end of the month, for all of your effort, the only thing that you get from that is on in your you know, like direct deposit. You don't actually see money. They don't give you coins or dollar bills. It's digits on a computer screen. And you, you're kind of sweating it because by the end of the month, like we need to get this, the digits higher on the computer screen at the bank. Because otherwise, you know, I, what I want to do is go out and 
have the computer screen have lower digits so I can buy rent for another month or gasoline for my car or insurance for my kids and, and the nice Lamborghini, whatever you want to purchase. And so most Americans go through life working and toiling for a certain number of digits that appear on a computer screen at the end of the month so they can go out and try to take those digits and make them a lower amount and hopefully time it exactly right so that they do not go into red digits or negative numbers by the end. By the end. And so it's just like this bizarre thing of some people are valued at $10,000 a month, their effort, and other people are valued at 500. However, society does evaluate. It does make value judgments. And so if you are completely out of um, sync with society's values as to your, you're not going to get very far. Um, you're going to get a bad reputation, first of all, and there goes your business. Second of all, ethically, you've done the wrong thing. And if you're ever brought into a legal contest as to your behavior, you will lose decisively. Judges might even impose attorney's fees. I don't know. And so I will say this. Um, I, I have encountered, there, there are th at least four prominent entrepreneurs that I highly respect. Um, different degrees of respect. <laughs> but they all, they all dropped out of law school. Now, I wish I had dropped out of law school many days, sometimes most days. <laughs> um, however, uh, one is a person who her business is email strategist, email launch strategist. I'm like, wow, that's a fancy title. What, what I learned about that um, career designation name is it's really copywriting. And copywriting is trying to persuade somebody to buy something from you only with the written word. And it's considered to be a highly uh, compensated skill. However, um, if you follow the analysis of a reasonableness of fees, the value proposition is, is great. I mean, like, if you successfully launch and copy helps bring in sales, then that brings great value to the customer. However, it fails in other areas. Um, it, it is not horribly complicated. In fact, it's easy. I know this because um, I hired so, so this person who flunked out of law school or dropped out of law school uh, wouldn't let me hire her, and um, she wanted to charge $1,000 an hour. Uh, and, you know, after I cleaned the monitor of my computer off from spewing coffee <laughs> that I was sipping as she said that, um, my industry would say that that is prohibited. And, and I've actually thought about supply and demand, like if clients are willing to pay $2,000 an hour for attorneys who give great value, can we charge that much? Yes, that's what the market will bear. However, ethically, probably not. And so the legal services industry is an industry that brings the price down, that regulates the price that humans would charge. You may not agree with that. However, people will eventually clue in. Like, like this particular entrepreneur will not be able to charge $1,000 an hour forever because every single one of her customers will go on and have the same realization that I have had. 
And that is, oh, really, email sequencing can be automated through platforms like ConvertKit, ClickFunnels, and copywriting is definitely a skill. However, you can hire a copywriter for far less than $1,000 an hour, and so we have violated, violated the ethical consideration. And in the long term, her business is going to suffer, or she will modify her behavior based upon you know, uh, market conditions and the evolving market, I hope. Um, and, and my thing is, well, like, why not just go out and do it right from the beginning? Well, the answer is people don't know. There's no guidance, there's no regulation, there's no formal system about how to attract clients through a lawful contract that makes the client feel good, that makes you feel good, and improves your reputation. In the absence of that, the opposite will result. You will have disappointed clients who feel like they've been taken advantage of, and your reputation will diminish, and if you do not change your behavior, I believe, you, you better get your resume um, up to date. That's just my view uh, based on experience. What's funny is this particular person um, has a problem because in, in the business world, and, and keep in mind these young entrepreneurs, most of them have no business experience. Um, and so, in the, but in the brick and mortar industry, industrial world, invoices come in usually um, in the absence of a contract. Like you can have a contract that says, here's the invoice, it's due in five days, there's a penalty of 10% interest if you do not pay in five days. If the customer agrees with that, by all means, that's a lawful contract, you can't enforce it. In the absence of that, bills come in and they're paid once a month. I mean, like the cycle is every two weeks, or every 30 days. And just because you made up a price and then turned a contract into a negotiation and then the person has agreed to pay your fee because they feel bad, the, the, then the second question is, well, like, when can I get paid? This person's approach is, I need to get paid right now and then has been sending me emails and texts like every other day, where's my money? <clears throat> um, and. Of course, I'm, I'm not having fun with any of this. It's, it's actually upsetting. However, I'm trying to help this young man understand, okay, well, what is the legal proposition? Like, point to the lawful authority, the authority to lawfully enforce a due date for your payment. But of course, the response is dead silence. Now, you would think that the teaching point would, would get across. I mean, like, oh, like, I have no contract, no agreement, no meeting of the minds. I violated every rule of contract law, and now I'm demanding money, and I, and I, I, don't, I can't even point to the lawful authority for this to ever be paid. <laughs> so I guess this podcast should be called What Not to Do. But I hope that if you hear it um, and you're in this space, you, you take these words to heart. Um, I, I didn't even get to consideration the other requirements of contract, I guess, I will have to continue the conversation, um, and I will, in fact. Um, th these topics are important. They will help you in, in more than just ways of meeting the law's requirements, but also establishing and running your business the correct way from the beginning. I hope that helps. Stay tuned because there's more to come. The next um, 
I'm excited about the next episode, which is going to be called, Is There a Market for Failure? Until then, this is Daryl Tuttle helping you learn and leverage the laws of money.